Well, we're going to continue our series on um, uh, casting your cares on the Lord. Last week, we uh, entitled the message, Powerless Ghosts. We're going to pick up right where we left off and probably finish up today. But I want to start by reading uh, our main scripture text. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, or pull it up on your uh, electronic device. 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse 7 and 8. Actually, I'll start, of course, with verse 6. Uh, first, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read through verse 10. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And then uh, Isaiah chapter 26, verses uh, 12 through 14. Isaiah 26, uh, 12 through 14. Verse 12 of Isaiah 26. Lord, you will ordain peace for us. For you have wrought all our works in us. O Lord our God, other lords besides you have had dominion over us. But you only will, uh, excuse me, but by you only will we make mention of your name. They are dead, they shall not live. They are deceased, they shall not rise. Therefore have you visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Now I want to read that uh, in the Amplified Translation. O Lord our God, other masters besides you have ruled over us, but we will acknowledge and mention your name only. They, the former tyrant masters, are dead. They shall not live and reappear. They are powerless ghosts. They shall not rise and come back. Therefore, you have visited and made an end of them and caused every memory of them, every trace of their supremacy to perish. Praise God. Like I said before, I mean, you could almost just read that passage of Scripture and say, amen, let's go home. Because, uh, you know, one word of God can change and will change your life forever. Uh, you know, a matter of faith is really a matter of either uh, having someone speak the word to you or listening. If you feel like you're not being built up in faith, either maybe your preacher or the pastor is not speaking the word of God, or perhaps you're not listening. Remember, Jesus said so much about listening and like, be careful how you hear. He also said, be careful what you hear. And so we have to really uh, pay attention to what we hear. And of course, in uh, Hebrews 11, chapter 2, a passage of scripture that uh, I really enjoy, says that we actually are supposed to pay more attention to the things that we've already heard, lest at any time we let them slip. Or the margin says, leak out like water out of a leaky vessel. So I looked that up one time, and it uh, really is talking about in that day they'd have these vases that they would fill with water. And um, a lot of times, they're, you know, they're made out of pottery. A lot of times those would crack. And then if you fill that and you fill a cracked vessel, what happens? It starts to leak out. Well, unless it's a really big leak, you might not notice it right away. But if it's a small leak, then it just starts coming out, starts coming out. And all of a sudden you look in that container and all of the liquid that you thought was there, it's like half there or maybe it's all gone. And so, you know, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, is telling us, 
pay extra attention to the stuff you've already heard, lest at any time you let them slip. And Jesus said, let's be careful how you hear. Well, why is that? Well, if you've ever heard something before, then um, you know, you're apt to kind of like just pass over it and say like, well, I've heard that. I've heard that. Let me hear something new. I want to hear something new. Well, um, you know, through the history of the church, there may be things that are more or less emphasized that, that uh, somebody uh, by and large missed, but really, um, there's nothing new in the Word. The Word of God does not change. It's from everlasting to everlasting. Sometimes what happens is we mix natural thinking in with our faith in God. Instead of having our faith placed on the Word of God, we actually come up with uh, a theory. And, uh, you know, because we... Uh, I feel so blessed for, to have uh, gotten to be with Brother Hagen. I can't come up with a better definition than his definition of a theory. And uh, I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, what? Say that again? He said, a theory is a supposition established upon ignorance of the subject under discussion. So I'll say it slower. A theory is a supposition established upon ignorance of the subject under discussion. So if you or I are going to receive from God, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So in other words, in order to please God, we're going to have to act in faith. We're going to have to trust God in faith. And Mark eleven twenty two, 22, Jesus said, have faith in God or lay hold on God's faithfulness or, um, you know, possess, grab hold, make it your own. Well, uh, you're not going to please God. You're not going to be walking by faith without walking in the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says, Though, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so what happens is uh, we'll have different situations that come up in our lives that we didn't plan on, and different things happen, and sometimes we're caught off guard. Many times we're caught off guard. Uh, very rarely does something, uh, what we would consider bad, happen at just the perfect time. <laughs> it seems to happen at just the wrong time. Uh, and then what happened has happened over the years is a lot of times uh, people will just kind of like make a supposition. So they'll be like, well, I think this happened because this and because of that and this, you know, this circumstance and that circumstance, rather than going to the Bible and find out what does God say about it? What does God have to say about this situation? So he always said a theory is a supposition established upon ignorance of the subject under discussion. In other words, you really don't know, according to the Word of God, like what the Bible says, so you're going to come up with a theory. And, uh, you know, uh, all of us have a limited knowledge of the Word of God. Thank God that we have the Holy Spirit because Jesus told us that He would bring all things to our remembrance, whatever He has said unto us. And uh, most of the time, that's how the Scriptures come up to me. The Holy Spirit brings back something that I've already read a few times. The Holy Spirit has brought me something I haven't read. But most of the time, it's something that I've already read that I already know that He just whew, makes alive right then and right there, and then I can act on it. And so... Um, we don't want to be basing our life in theories. We want to base them on the facts of the Word of God. Because then God himself, he said in Isaiah, I watch over my word to perform it. So if God's watching over his word to perform it, uh, how many of you think he can watch pretty good? Also in Isaiah, he said, what did he say? Put me in remembrance. Declare thou that you may be justified. So this is God saying, remind me, remind me about this. I know I'll say that to my kids sometimes. I'll say, hey, okay, uh, you know, they want to do something or this or that or whatever, and I've got other things that are going on, and I say, okay, you remind me. You remind me later. Well, God said, remind me, 
Remind me what I said. And he said, I watch over my word to perform it. Well, what that tells me is I better find out what his word says. Because if I can find out what his word says, he says he's backing it up. Right? So if I figure something out on my own and just say, well, here's how I have it figured out. Uh, I figure, you know, if I just, um, you know, have this problem in my body and if I just uh, exercise more and do this and do that, which are natural things many times and good things and you should be doing that. You know, the Bible says natural exercise or bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable in all things, in this life and the life to come. So we're not throwing out the natural side of things, but what we're doing is we're putting God first. Like King Asa didn't put God first and he died because it says that he sought to the physicians instead of seeking to God. Well, does that mean like if you go to the doctor, you're going to seek a doctor uh, that you're going to die? No. I think what it means is put God first. Always put God first in your life and in my life. And so um, we want to have our faith in something that's solid, that's fixed, and movable, that will not change, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God will never change. Not even the smallest marking in the Word of God will pass away. And uh, the Word of God will endure forever. So we we live our our lives based on the Word of God. And then I want to read also in Isaiah 26. I want to back up and read verse 3. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. You will keep him, or thou will keep him, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Well, in my Bible, I have a a little margin in the middle that gives you notes from original Greek and different things like that and cross-references. And under the word peace, or next to the word peace in the margin of my Bible, it says peace, peace. In other words, the original Greek actually says, thou will keep him in peace, peace. In other words, when the Hebrew wants to emphasize something, it's saying like, in the peace of peace. So it's not just like, oh yeah, it's going to keep, it's going to be peaceful, it's going to be quiet, the kids are going to go to sleep. (laughs) No, I mean, we're talking God's kind of peace. In peace, peace, uh, whose mind, and then the margin of my Bible says, thought or imagination, whose thought or imagination, so let me read it uh, with the margin, thou will keep him in peace, peace, whose thought and imagination is stayed on thee, like put your trust in God. It sounds a lot like Jesus in Mark eleven twenty two, 22, when the disciples are looking at the fig tree that Jesus cursed the day before, and it was withered, and they said, look, master, the tree that you cursed is withered. And he didn't say, you know, I got a lot of power. Did you notice that? He said, what did he say? He said, almost as if they're asking a question like, how is that possible? And maybe they were. But he goes one step further, and he tells them how to do it. He says, have faith in God. So he's saying, you know, they're amazed at what they see, what their physical senses tell them, because all they know is, listen, we've had philosophers for years that have talked and trained and spoke, but when this man speaks, what I see changes. And so when Jesus spoke to that fig tree, and they're amazed and in awe He just, his response is, have faith in God. You could say, put your trust in God. And I love that passage of scripture because 
I have not found a situation yet that that passage of Scripture, that one little short verse does not answer. So if your kids are rebelling, you have teenagers, what's the answer? Mark eleven twenty two, 22. Have faith in God. Put your faith in God. Lay hold on God's faithfulness. In other words, you know what? I train my kids in the way they should go. And I'm thinking of someone right now that they've got kids that are young adults and, you know, they feel like, and it looks like they're away from the Lord, but they brought them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Maybe weren't perfect, but who is? And Jesus would say, in that situation, lay hold on God's faithfulness. In other words, what's one thing about faithfulness is that you are constant, you are steady, you are faithful, right? So, you know... You find someone uh, maybe that's serving in church, and I know a guy, uh, I don't know him personally, but I, I was at a service in St. Louis, and uh, this pastor was talking about him, and uh, they have an amazing church. Their, their church was a plant from, I don't know if you know Fred Price's church out in California, but um, this guy, he served in the church, and what he did was they had this uh, floor as you come in the entryway, and his job to serve in the church was to keep that floor looking nice. So this man would come, and he would come so early, and he would wax it, and he would buff it, and it was like glass. And he didn't just do this like one time. This guy did this week after week, month after month. And the pastor asked him, he's like, you know, what are you doing? He's like, I'm doing this as to the Lord. I'm working as to the Lord. And I know that my place right now, this is what the Lord has put on my heart to do. So I'm doing it with all my heart. And so he went like above and beyond. And, you know, when we look and we think, what do I do? I, I don't know what I can do. My kids are, are turning away from the Lord or have turned away from the Lord. And uh, what should I do? That man was a very faithful man. He was steady. He was constant. He did a really good job. Well, God is way more faithful than that man. God is way more faithful than you or me. And so you might think in that situation, well, you know, I made some mistakes and I did this. And Jesus would say, lay hold on God's faithfulness, not on your faithfulness to be uh, the perfect person or the perfect parent or say the perfect thing or quote the perfect scripture. He would say, lay hold on God's faithfulness. Grab hold on what God did. Grab hold of what he has done for you. Um, you know, margin in that, uh, in Mark eleven twenty two, 22, the margin actually says, have the faith of God. And so if Jesus is telling us to have the faith of God, that must mean we can kind of grab hold of faith from somewhere else, like not the faith of God, like faith in ourselves or faith in our parents or faith in a person rather than faith in God. So he says, have faith in God. Lay hold on God's faithfulness. Possess it. Grab hold of it. Make it part of you. Let it, let it really work through you. Um, you know, I mentioned Romans uh, ten seventeen. so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One translation actually says, faith is awakened by hearing the word of God. So when you become a Christian, when you become a new creature, old things passed away, behold, all things have become new. The truth of the matter, the reality of the matter, what the Bible says is, you actually have the faith of God. Is Jesus going to tell us to do something that we couldn't do? No. And also, he's not going to uh, give us a, a job 
to serve him that he doesn't equip us to do. That would be uh, dishonest and unfair. No, he gives us uh, the faith of God. And we learn actually in Romans that he has dealt to every man among you, talking to the believers, the measure of faith. Measure of faith. So every believer has a measure of faith. Uh, it can be developed and use it. But, but uh, So in other words, what do we want to do when we have cares, anxieties, things that come against us? We want to keep our minds stayed on him. We want to keep our thoughts stayed on him. And then over in verse 13 in the Amplified Translation, Oh Lord, other masters besides you have ruled over us. So maybe you've been through something in your life. Most people have. Maybe you've been through something real tough. Something else ruled over you. But we will acknowledge and mention your name only. Praise God. The name of the Lord. Oh, why is that? Well, have you ever noticed like the more you talk about something and the more you think about something, the bigger it seems to you? the bigger it gets. Um, you know, David said in the Psalms, oh, come, let us magnify the Lord together. Let us exalt his name. Well, what happens when you do that? Does God get big? No. God, the size of God does not change. The all-powerfulness of God does not change. But what changes is what you see. Your vision changes. All of a sudden, you start to magnify the Lord. And you say, you know what? Somebody says, you know what? You just had, uh, your furnace just broke. And now it's going to cost you a lot of money. Yeah, but my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. And he said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he said, I have give, given you dominion. He said, resist the devil and he will flee. And anything that is, you know, of course, Romans, uh, excuse me, um, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I could go scripture after scripture after scripture, but what am I doing? Well, you've got to stir yourselves up on your, like Paul said to Timothy, on your most holy faith. You stir yourself up. Don't forget the words that were spoken over you. So you actually take the word of God, and you let that word of God start to churn, start to move on the inside of you. It's called meditating in the word of God. Uh, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate or think in it day and night, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. So somebody's saying like, well, you know, I need to go get more education, then I'll be successful. I need to, uh, you know, sow all of this, uh, sow some more seed in the kingdom of God to be more successful. Well, maybe you need to do some of those things. But what Joshua said is, and the Lord said through Joshua is, this book of the law, meditate in it day and night. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. Well, what happens when you meditate in the word of God? It actually grabs hold of you, becomes part of you. And before you realize it, you start speaking it out. Now, let me demonstrate that. How I'll demonstrate that is you say, man, I can't believe the furnace broke. Uh, I just had to fix uh, the tractor last week, and now the furnace is broke, and I used my money, my extra money to fix the furnace, and so I don't know what I'm going to do, and I got all these kids, and probably now my kids are going to freeze, and I, you know, what? I, okay, they don't have enough clothes, and so I'm going to have to go buy more clothes, and I don't, I'm, I'm probably going to have to get another job because now I have this, and so what am I going to You see, I'm meditating, but not in the Word of God. I'm meditating the problem. And I'm, I'm having, letting all of these thoughts come and take their place in my thought life and become my focus. When the Word of God tells us, put our trust in God. And so I think the reason that we fail sometimes at this is we're not first putting our trust in God. We're putting our trust in what we know and what we can do. 
And I know being a minister uh, in different situations, my uh, uh, grandmother on my father's side passed away, uh, must be about five years ago now. We were living in Michigan. And when we were living in Michigan, uh, my grandmother went to the hospital. And we were, she lived a couple hours south of us. And um, she'd been in a couple times before, and I wasn't able to make it down because I was associate pastor and pretty busy with what we were doing. And um, I just felt in my heart, you need, to go, you need to go see her. So I told my wife, I said, you know, I think we need to go see. And she said, yeah, I agree. So we went down, drove a couple hours. It was in the evening and, you know, didn't really have time, but just felt like we should. So we went down, and it had been years since I saw my grandmother so carefree. She was just at such peace, and, and I talked to her about the Lord, and um, uh, just was she ready to go, and she was in her 80s, and, um, you know, uh, we just had a really good time, and she, she just said, I'm just, I'm not worried about anything, and she before was always worried, <laughs> well, I'm worried about this, and this, and this, and this, she was at such peace. Well, as we walked out of that hospital room, uh, as I look back on it, I remember thinking, I should go back and tell her goodbye because I'm not going to see her again, this side of heaven. I didn't do it. And so, um, but I'm thankful that I went down there. So um, that was probably like 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And so we drove back home a couple hours. And I get a call from my brother at about uh, 1.30 or 2 in the morning, said that my grandmother went into cardiac arrest. And... Um, Please pray. And so hang up from the call, tell my wife, Melody, and um, then we go to start to pray. And man, I cannot pray. Like, I want to pray. So I start to, you know, like rebuke death and all this, and I'm just kind of like, hmm, can't do it. Well, uh, she's given me permission to tell this story, by the way. <laughs> so she... Um, She's just like, no, we're not going to let grandma go. And, you know, she needs, needs to not be in the hospital bed and all this and da-da-da. And she's, she's praying and she kind of like, I can tell she's not really connecting, you know. And um, she's like, well, what's going on? And I said, well, let's, let's talk to the Lord about it. So we go to the Lord. I'm talking about put your trust in God. Put your faith in God. What do you do when trouble comes? What do you do when a difficult situation comes? Do you do your first reaction or do you like look to God first? So I said, well, let's. Let's see what the Lord would say. And as soon as we talk, uh, pray to the Lord about it, you just have a witness on the inside. Still small voice, like the Bible says. Um, you know, um, she's in heaven. She's gone. And uh, so I said to her, I said, honey, I said, when I pray, I feel like the Lord is saying, you know, she's gone. She's like, I know it. I just didn't want it to be that way. She's like, I knew it the whole time. Well, sometimes we just don't want things to be a certain way, so we try to, like, get involved and say all this stuff, and, you know, especially things that we don't understand, and um, uh, what we ought to do, what we always ought to do is put our trust in God. In other words, seek you first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I love that Jesus put in there, uh, and his righteousness. Why is that? Well, because it's not, don't seek like your own righteousness, like, okay, Lord, I'm worthy to come in here because I am awesome in myself. 
No, like you're nothing in yourself, just like I'm nothing in myself, just like all of us are nothing in ourselves. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be here. It was actually while we were sinners that Christ died for us. So I like to think, when I was doing the worst thing possible, when I was in the lowest state, when I was showing the least amount of trust in God, that's when he died for me. He saw me in that condition and he said, I don't like to see you like that. That's not good for you to be like that. I don't want you like that and I love you, so I'm going to come and set you free from that. And actually, we know he came and he took all of that, our worseness, on himself, paid the penalty for it, set us free from it. And then he said, I love it in Corinthians, it says, you know, um, one translation says, he took our death, everything about us that was death, sickness, disease, depression, worry, guilt, mess ups, so we could have, I mean, it doesn't say that, I just added that, but we know that's what it is, so that we could have his life. So what does his life include? Well, life, or zoe, as the Greek is in the New Testament, really is life the way that God has it, or the quality of life that God has. Uh, When Jesus talks about, or John talks about in the Gospel of John, everlasting life, it's aeonius zoe. It's life that is uh, like God. So God has no beginning and no end. And so when Jesus died, we actually received And when we receive him, we receive the life of God, the same quality of life as God has. Now, we tend to think, well, you know, once you're born again, you're just going to live forever. Well, that is true, but um, the sad part about it is even if you're not born again, you're going to live forever. It's just a matter of your address, right? And not only your address, but man, utter darkness and alone. And hell is a horrible place. And Jesus died so that no person would have to go to hell. He died so that we might have life, zoe, the God kind of life, life the way God lives life, life the way God has life, and that more abundantly. So when you look at death, uh, spiritual death, any kind of death that's from the devil, you realize sickness is incipient death. What does that mean? It's death in its beginning form, okay? So anything like that, it's going to separate us from God. So if you start to worry, you start to get on the, tr- the, the pathway of death and even physical death because you can look at medical studies and you can find that if you're going to worry and fret and have anxiety about all kinds of stuff, you can get some kind of disease. You can die young. You, you know, they did a study uh, down in Texas and um, they studied these patients before they were going in for surgery. And they studied what they said before they went in for surgery. And what they noticed was the ones that said, oh, it's going to be horrible surgery. I'm so worried. Things are going to go wrong. Uh, Sometimes they would die during surgery and they wouldn't live as long after the surgery. Uh, But the ones that would say, you know, things are great. It's not going to be a problem. This is just a minor thing. We're going to go through it and no issues whatsoever. Most of them went through surgery just fine, started to live longer. I'm not talking from a Christian Bible perspective. I'm talking just naturally. Well, um, uh, you know, the greatest discoveries, the greatest inventions, the greatest blessings to mankind really come when someone discovers a truth from the Word of God and actually brings that into the natural realm and the natural world. And so, you know, you see, of course, uh, Germany during, uh, before World War II in that time frame, um, you know, they had so many theologians and people that studied the Word of God and all of this. And then, uh, you know, they started coming up with all of these inventions, all of these things. And so, really, the only reason we have any light or understanding is from God Himself. 
Uh, you know, the reason that you can take your next breath is God is sustaining you. But what we want to do is we want to live in the fullness of the life that he provided for us. Uh, we, you know, during the, uh, after we, or while we were worshiping the Lord in our giving, we sang uh, the song, Overcome. We have overcome. Um, talking about 2 Corinthians. Um, so that we actually live in a place of victory. We live in a place where we have already won the battle, okay? And uh, as I was uh, preparing this message this week, I, I, re- I was reminded of uh, the movie Secretariat. Has anybody seen the movie Secretariat? Based on a true story, of course, some, some of that stuff they made dramatic to make it uh, more interesting. Uh, but the movie Secretariat, so my daughter loves horses, and so uh, she's so happy to be, you know, we live in horse country, and so she's just like real happy about that, and uh, wants to get a horse, and is going to get a horse so, at some point here. And so um, uh, I didn't let her watch the movie because there were some parts of the dramatic part that I didn't want her to see yet, but I think, think she saw parts of it. But I went to see the movie, and uh, I used to work on a horse farm in Northern Virginia uh, when I was a teenager, and uh, so I was much interested in horse racing. It was a, a horse racing farm and stuff. And um, always had heard about Secretariat, so I went to see the movie. Well, you know, I knew that Secretariat won the Triple Crown before I ever went to see the movie. So I knew, like, the outcome. I knew that Secretariat was the victor, but I still had to go through the movie, okay? Well, in truth of the matter, Jesus has already made us victorious over all the power of the enemy, even victorious over our own flesh. A lot of times we want to blame stuff on the devil, and it's really just our flesh, right? We're like, well, I just didn't really want to do that, or I just didn't really feel like doing that, or uh, I felt like doing that, and I shouldn't have done that. I felt like, you know, uh, so it's not always the devil, but many times it is. Uh, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And so, you know, you look at the... uh, epistle of the Ephesians to the Ephesians, Paul to the Ephesians, and you find out the first thing he talks about at the very beginning, chapter one, he's like, you are seated in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, rule, dominion, every nameless name, right? So we're seated up there at the right hand of God with Jesus Christ. And then you get into chapter six where it talks about, you know, our our warfare and the full armor of God. Well, he's putting the whole thing in context. He's saying, when you're fighting against the devil, or you're fighting against what's coming against you, you got to remember, you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. In other words, you're not fighting from down here. If you try to fight from down here where you're under it, uh, you're going to feel defeated. You're going to feel weak. You're going to feel unable. But when you start to realize and see, wait a minute, I'm seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, far above all of these uh, princes of the power of the air as the Bible calls them, far above all of these circumstances. So we will um, acknowledge and mention his name only. Acknowledge and mention his name only. Let's let's look at, um, I better go to Philippians chapter uh, 4, verse 6 first. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Praise God. Philippians 4, 6. Or I'm going to start with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 
you know, he said like in the, in the book of Philippians, 16 times rejoice, 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 rejoice. So you realize like he's saying you need to rejoice. <laughs> I'm not a rocket scientist, but I know one. So he says, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I love the word because the word is always right and says, you know, uh, rejoice in the Lord always directing us back to the Lord. Have faith in God. We'll mention the name of the Lord, right? So we're always focusing on the Lord, focusing on the Lord. Stop focusing on yourself. Stop focusing on another person, unless that person is Jesus Christ or God the Father or the Holy Spirit. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord's at hand. Be careful for nothing. I'm going to read this actually in the Amplified. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, one translation said, will flood your hearts and minds. Another translation said, and the peace of God shall come in like a garrison of soldiers into a turbulent country. Imagine over in Iraq and Mosul, you're over there, uh, all of a sudden, maybe you're a Christian believer and a garrison of soldiers Maybe the United States military comes in, just fills that whole place. What are you going to feel like? You're kind of worried, kind of stressed out. What's going on? All of a sudden, the peace of God comes in. Finally, brother, whatever, uh, and will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So sometimes we don't focus on the Lord. We don't allow the peace of God to like keep our heart, keep our mind. Then he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. <laughs> like I said, I love the word. It tells you exactly what to do. Like, I'm thinking about all this stuff. Do not fret. I'm fretting, having anxiety. What do I do? What do I do? What should I do? What should I do? Well, is it true? Is it honest? Is it... Uh, pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? Is it praiseworthy? Then think on that. So if it's not, you probably shouldn't be thinking on it. You know, like a piece of gum, maybe chew on it for a second and spit it out. Like you don't let it dwell there. Like you got things you got to do. Uh, Jesus said, you know, in talking about seeking first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, take no thought for your life, what you'll eat, what you'll wear, what you put on. Don't you know that all the Gentiles uh, seek these things? Don't you know your heavenly father sees the lilies of the field and how much more does he care for you? Paraphrasing. Well, he didn't say uh, uh, take no thought. It says take no thought. If you look at the original, it says no undue thought. Like, in other words, don't get stressed about tomorrow. Don't get focused on all that. He's not saying, like, go against the book of Proverbs. It says, like, prepare for tomorrow, save money, do all this stuff. He's saying, what is he saying? <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, put God first. Let's focus on God first. Let's seek God first. Let's look to God first. Let's go to him first, and then we'll know what to do. Because he'll tell us what to do, and he'll show us what to do. So Acts chapter uh, 16, verse 25. Acts chapter 16, verse 25, and we'll, we'll just close with this. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. 
And suddenly, uh, verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. So we're talking about fighting from a position of victory, not for victory. So the enemy comes up in like a flood, but the Lord lifts a standard up against him, right? So it can feel sometimes like you're being flooded in. And man, the water's coming and it's going to like encompass you and overtake you. It may feel like that. And you can be a born again, spirit filled, uh, wonderful Christian loving the Lord. And it still comes in like that. It still feels like that. But what are you going to do? Well, Paul and Silas, they're in prison at midnight. Their feet are in stocks. Their hands are in stocks. But they could speak. And so what did they do? They said, Silas turned to Paul and said, Paul, I don't know what you did and how you missed God to cause this to happen. It's your fault that we're here. Why on earth did you do that? I knew you shouldn't have, I knew you shouldn't have healed that poor widow woman. I knew you shouldn't have ministered to her. It's all your fault. Paul said, no, Silas, it was you. No, it said they prayed and complained to God. No. It said they prayed, and I should just insert here, trusted God, so they began to praise him. So they prayed and began to praise. And the prisoners heard him, so they didn't even do it quiet. So at midnight, at the point when, you know, uh, I have actually been to Rome, but I didn't get to go to that uh, prison, but anyhow, so they... uh, they're in this dark dungeon. I've read some Rick Renner, so I've seen like in some of his pictures and stuff like that. See what it's like. I'm going to go on those trips someday. Uh, you know, we're like in there. They're in like the bottom prison, and it's moist and gross and probably rats and whatever else is trying to crawl all over you, and you can't even itch your own nose. And you're stuck there, and it's midnight, and it's damp, and it's cold. And in that condition, like what else could go wrong, right? It's what they're going to think naturally. Their mind wants to tell them what else could go wrong. But they're saying, this situation is way too much for me. I'm looking to the Lord. And so they're saying, okay, Lord, we need your help. And then they begin to praise. And an earthquake came. God sent an earthquake and set them free when they begin to sing and to praise. And then, of course, last week we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when uh, the children of uh, Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir came against the children of uh, Israel, and Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord, and the whole uh, company of Israel set themselves to seek the Lord, and the Lord you know, basically spoke to him and said, you're not going to have to fight in the battle. This, this sounds like God is like a schizophrenic, maybe. You shall not have to fight in this battle, but go down against them. Right? You're like, I thought you said I didn't have to fight. What do you, well, why? Because I'm thinking naturally. I'm thinking like, what can I do? What can I do? And when Jehoshaphat appointed singers and praisers unto the Lord and to say, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And when they begin to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushments against the children of Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir. And they were smitten. In other words, they died. And we talked about it last week. They were three days gathering of the spoils, all the riches, all the jewels, everything from the dead bodies, because there was so much. And so what the devil wants to keep our focus on is our natural surroundings. And it it feels like a flood. You feel like you're failing. You feel like it's over. Uh, But if God can get us to give him one inch 
and say, you know what? I'm from a position of victory. I'm going to pray to you, and I'm going to not only pray, I'm going to praise. Why am I going to praise? Because the battle is already won. Like I said in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. So the battle is the Lord's, but the victory is ours. So the Lord fought the battle. What did they do? They just turned their heart to the Lord. They began to say, uh, for your good and your mercy endures forever. Now they got these armies that are too much for them, naturally speaking, the, that could overtake them and uh, kill them and take their riches, take their jewels, take their wives, take their children. But they said, We're, that's not our focus. We will acknowledge and mention his name only. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And so what did they do? They put their focus there. How did they keep their focus there? For they said, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. They didn't go out against the army and stand and think, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. I know the Lord is good, his mercy endures. And actually to meditate means to mutter. It actually means something's coming out of your mouth. So you'll see people, like I said, uh, if you want to know how to meditate, you just look at worry. It's real easy and be like, oh, I can't believe these kids did that and they broke this, whatever, this guy's doing that. And they're always doing that. What's going on? You ever find like when you, if, uh, maybe you're not like me, if you've ever done that in your entire life, do you ever find like, you know, you could be thinking about it and all of a sudden something starts to come out of your mouth and uh, then you're like, what did I say that for? Hopefully is what you say. <laughs> or you just say something really bad. You're like, oh, Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. Because <laughs> the whole time you're saying it, you got the Holy Ghost on the inside. And he's like, uh-uh, I can't go with that. <laughs> I can't go with that. I want to go with something. Give me, give me room to move. Give me room to show up. Give me room for the power of God to show up. And the way you do that is you magnify the Lord and you lift your voice to him and you give him access to your life. It's like you find in the word of God what you, uh, your situation is, and you see who you are in Christ, what you are in Christ in light of that situation. Maybe it's physical healing in your body. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Uh, Jesus took my infirmities and my sicknesses. And so that's what you believe. That's what you speak. And that's what you live. And it doesn't matter if things to the contrary come. You just keep speaking, keep believing, and you put God first. You talk to the Lord. You know, when I've had stuff in my body that stayed and I thought this shouldn't be here, uh, I, I'm believing and confessing, but you know, in my heart, I'm like, okay, Lord, what is this? Because you have like, I mean, I don't know how many ways, way after way after way after way that you have provided healing. And so, you know, which one do I need to latch on to? Because I know you got one for me, because I know you're looking out for me, I know you're loving me, I know you, you're on my side, the blood's applied, every need will be supplied. So I enter into rest. I know I'm blessed. I've passed the test. I get your best. Right? Hallelujah. Stand with me if you would. Praise God. Well, let's take just uh, about a minute or two and lift our voices and praise the Lord. And maybe you have a situation in your life or something going on in your life, and you can just think of a scripture right now. If you can't think of one, uh, come, you know, ask the Lord and come afterwards and I'll give you a scripture that you can stand on and that you can thank God for his provision, for his mercy, for his strength, for his life in your situation. And then let yourself, remind yourself this week to speak this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow morning and the next day, speak the word in your situation because the word of God penetrates to the core, Hebrews tells us, 
the, the very joints and marrow, like the inner point of your being, the inner point of your situation, the word of God is sharp and powerful, dividing soul and spirit. Sometimes I need that because you get too emotional, your mind realm, your reasoning realm, your emotions, those are in the soulish realm. But your spirit has been recreated in Christ Jesus and so sometimes you're kind of like, well, I, you know, I, I'm really trying to do this, and particularly if it's relationship stuff, uh, you get, it gets difficult. And I tell people, uh, you know, people that are looking for, uh, to get married, and they're like, well, should I marry this one, should I not? I said, you know what, you need to get in the Word, because the Word is the only thing that's going to help you separate those two. Otherwise, you're trying to do this, and your emotions are, are like, the passions are raging, and you're kind of like, oh, is this the one, this is the one, and, uh, you know, you're kind of like love-struck and all this stuff, and... Uh, the Word of God will actually penetrate any situation. So we just want to honor and esteem and speak His name only and, and go to the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that Your Word is alive and powerful, that Your Word is working inside of us, that Your Word is working on every situation that we have. So, Father, we just, once again, we cast all our cares on you. We give them to you. We're not going to uh, try to accomplish them ourselves, try to think of them ourselves, try to fix them ourselves. Father, we're going to mention you and your name, acknowledge you and your name so that you can direct our path. Father, we're just going to look to you, have faith in you, and trust you. Father, I thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus I plead the blood of Jesus over everyone that's here, over everyone that's listening, over every situation, over our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our affections. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for everything that you have accomplished for us through his life blood. Father, we thank you. Thank you that his blood is on your heavenly of holies of holies, speaking on our behalf, even right now. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.